Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. Travis Ryer, the senior analyst of BamaOnline.com and the radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can catch in Tuscaloosa at 102.9 FM. With you for the Talking Tide podcast, our web host, of course, Podbean.com. Available apps also include iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, We focus, of course, on the national championship game, Travis, Alabama-Clemson, for the fourth time in CFP history meet. Three of those four in a title game setting. Both teams coming in 14-0 on the year. A lot of anticipation, a lot to get into about this game. We'll get into the nuts and bolts and... uh, uh, maybe get into the 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 ticket man's uh, take on things out there as well. Uh, your thoughts, though, first on the game, Travis. Obviously, uh, a huge tilt, and and uh, once again, as is, seems to be the case when when these two teams clash, uh, offenses on both sides taking center stage. Yeah, we've seen these teams do it on the Gulf Coast, right, uh, in New Orleans and in Tampa. Now we're going to see them get together out on the left coast so uh four straight years uh feels like old friends sort of getting together uh once again but familiarity obviously not an issue for either of these teams more so about changes in personnel obviously clemson feels like and justifiably so that it has upgraded at the quarterback position from a year ago going from kelly bryant to true freshman trevor lawrence but you touched on it with these offenses in general. Tua Tagovailoa now at quarterback for Alabama, so some different uh, faces in some important places. But I feel like really similar to last year's game, uh, the lines of scrimmage are going to be a big part of this. You know, we can talk about all the skill players, the the fantastic young quarterbacks, the fantastic young receivers that both these teams have, uh, the running back production that both these teams have gotten. Uh, But I think if you look at it from the Alabama perspective, what you'd like to see happen is something similar along the lines of scrimmage that happened in New Orleans a year ago. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and Alabama's defensive line versus that Clemson offensive line uh, for sure going to be one to watch. Mitch Hyatt, the left tackle at Clemson, we touched on him in the previous podcast. It will be tested. He's an outstanding player. Can the rest of that Clemson offensive line hold up like I think Hyatt will? I, I tend to doubt it. On the other side, though, a huge challenge for the Crimson Tide offensive line, uh, which brings the discussion to Dexter Lawrence. Now, of course, they've got all Americans from end to end on that Clemson defensive front, but Dexter Lawrence, the big defensive tackle, presumably out for the championship game as well. Obviously, it appears Clemson is uh, trying to file a quick appeal of some kind to get some relief and get him back on the field. But NCAA history being what it is, Travis, I think it's safe to call Lawrence out or virtually out of this one. Can Alabama exploit his absence if we presume he's out, or is it a lot, how much harder is it to exploit his absence when you got Christian Wilkins and a couple of outstanding defensive ends to fill in the gaps? Yeah, and we can go ahead and, and finalize uh, Dexter Lawrence's status for Monday night. Just as we were starting to tape this podcast, uh, Clemson announced that he, in fact, will not be available for Monday night's game. So we know that's going to be the case. He is not going to play. As you said, typically in instances involving NCAA-related tests, 
uh, it's Dunzo uh, for a while. And so with that, you think Dexter Lawrence is a junior draft eligible eligible junior will probably play his next snap of football in the National Football League and that's just fine by Nick Saban and that Alabama offensive staff because as you said Christian Wilkins still a load to deal with at the one defensive tackle spot Albert Huggins is the guy you're going to see step in for Dexter Lawrence I thought he played well against Notre Dame last week this is a guy 6'4 315 um, fifth year senior Uh, so you know you're not talking about a big drop off here uh, to Albert Huggins, actually just a senior, but still uh, talent. There's depth there on that Clemson off uh, defensive front. Cleveland Farrell uh, at the one defensive end spot, Austin Bryan at the other. Yeah, you catch a little bit of a break, um, but I think the the objective for Alabama, similar to the game in New Orleans a year ago, understand that you're not going to dominate this front, even with Dexter Lawrence out of there. What you want to do is, at worst, you know, get a stalemate, you know, neutralize these guys in a way in which you at least give your talented backs a chance and your quarterback who is very instinctive in the pocket and able to find soft spots in which to to reach a launch point to get the ball out into a Tonga Bailoa. That's the goal for Alabama this week. This isn't a week in which you go into it saying, yeah, we're going to just push these guys around because reality tells us that's not going to happen with Wilkins and Farrell and Bryant um, and even Huggins in there now for Dexter Lawrence. Hypothetically, for this for the sake of the podcast, let's suppose that Clemson's defensive line is a big problem for Alabama in the first half, and the response with a halftime adjustment is that Alabama turns to more of a, a quicker, shorter passing game uh, to, to try to neutralize that front a little bit, which it really hadn't ha- been forced to do much of this season because it's been successful running the ball and staying in front of the sticks, and it's been largely successful giving Tungvaloa plenty of time to go vertical when, when, it, when he wants to. But if that Clemson defensive line puts Alabama in a position to basically replace the running game with more short passes, how do you think Alabama handles that? Yeah, I think you touched on it. it more of a, a quicker passing game, maybe spread the field a little bit more. Um, the equivalent of what used to be a one-step drop now in the shotgun, you know, you're basically catching and getting the ball out instead of uh, working from under center like they quarterbacks did so much a decade or so ago. So I, I think you hit on it. I think uh, you, that's where you lean on uh, not only Tua Tagovailoa's accuracy, uh, but his recognition skills and his instincts to kind of know where to go with the football uh, in those situations and get it out hot. Um, and But, you know, he, he, here's something else I think Alabama looks to as well as those backs. Um, that is such, such a luxury to have, as we saw against Oklahoma, to be able to utilize Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, Najee Harris in the passing game right at 100 yards receiving for those guys against Oklahoma last Saturday night. And Brent Venables, he likes to get downhill with his linebackers. I mean, those two inside guys for Clemson, uh, you know, when you talk about Trey Lamar and Kendall Joseph at the weak side position, they play aggressive. And so that slant stuff that we've talked about off RPO action, you know, that can help you too. You know, that can help neutralize a front seven that likes to really get up the field against the run game. You know, you go to the RPO look. And, and you catch those uh, linebackers like Lamar and Joseph playing downhill, and that slant that we've seen work so effectively for this Alabama offense could very well be there right behind that second level. 
Such a luxury, too, for the Alabama offense to have a couple of backs who they can trust, not only in pass pro, but also to get out and be dangerous in the passing game. And, and obviously, we're talking about Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs there uh, primarily uh, because you need a guy that can do both of those things uh, in a given moment, especially when you're talking about check downs on third down where assignments are getting changed. You want a guy back there who can who can get out and you can hit a, a hot route, a, short, a, a screen, whatever the case may be, and hit a big play with it. Uh, but also if, if, if the call is for that guy to stay in and pick up a linebacker, uh, Harris and Jacobs, those are the two guys Alabama want in the game in that scenario. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And Jacobs has elevated his game in terms of protection because that was the clear-cut advantage that Damian Harris had over the other two backs really going into this season was that he could be trusted in those situations to pick up a, a blitz um, or help out in pass protection in general because of his recognition skills as much as anything, but then his willingness to step in there, put his nose in there and some uh, some some really, really big time collisions and get the job done. So it's a two way plus for Alabama from that standpoint, Chase, and that you feel good about being able to protect Tua. Uh, and you may see some of that, too. You may see some six, seven man protection um, to give Tua a better chance to really get the ball down the field to guys like Judy, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, the third Jalen Waddle. Um, but what they've done for the most part this year is not have a, a, a problem with going empty with five-man protection and then trust Tua to recognize uh, what he sees and then get the ball out quickly. Yeah, some big plays have resulted from that. I, mean, I, I haven't seen numbers on what Tungavaloa has done against the Blitz this year, but that's always a fun split to look at. We've seen it. That's, you, you don't have to see the stats because we've seen it with our own eyes. Uh, he's he's a quarterback even in his first year as a full time starter who has shown that he can he can make defenses pay dearly uh, for the blitz. There's no question about it. Uh, nuts and bolts here at Alabama. Of course, so it'll be a 7 p.m. Central Time kickoff uh, broadcast on ESPN on Monday night. That the Clemson offense, Travis, number five in the FBS at 530 yards per game. Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback who took over this season. Uh, for Bryant, uh, your thoughts on on this kid's skill level, and and as well, uh, how does he, in your opinion, compare to uh, to Murray, Kyler Murray, in terms of a challenge for the a- Alabama defense? Obviously, a different kind of quarterback, but in terms of an overall challenge, it's 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 awfully tough. Yeah, and just talent and and you know skills and 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 measurables and those things i mean this is a future first round pick if not a top three type pick uh talent wise and trevor lawrence he's six five kyler murray is maybe five ten so the challenge will be different in that from a, a plus side of things for alabama defensively you know this isn't barry sanders playing quarterback like alabama dealt with last saturday night um, down in Miami Gardens. That doesn't mean Lawrence isn't a good athlete. He is. He's a very athletic guy for his size. But when you talk about the running aspect of this offense at the quarterback position compared to some previous years, Chase, in 2017, Kelly Bryant in 14 games had 192 rush attempts. Through 14 games this season, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is under 60 
rush yeah. attempts. So the design quarterback runs that you had to account for with Kelly Bryant last year and even with Deshaun Watson in those previous years, not as much of a factor. Now, Lawrence will keep on some zone read stuff. So that's going to put you know, some, some pressure on the edge guys to, to stay at home and account for uh, Lawrence in those situations. But for the most part, for Mac Wilson and Dylan Moses this week, it's not the sort of double-edged or triple-edged sword as it was a week ago when you had to account for Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon at the running back position, but then also Kyler Murray as a runner, both on designed runs and improvisational sort of situations in the passing game and then also you know maybe you're having to pick up some tight ends in the passing game on an occasion it was a real challenge for those inside guys last week um not as much this week it'll start with travis Etienne, 1500 yard rusher so that in and of itself will be enough uh, of a challenge but you know as far as what's on the plate of guys like wilson and moses this week compared to last um it, it, it's not as much. It isn't. Yeah, if, if you watch the Clemson-Notre Dame game, it was clear that, that Dabo didn't want Lawrence running the ball any more than he had to, but he, he wasn't afraid to keep him honest because there was actually mm-hmm. – before before that game got out of hand, there was a stretch there where it was pretty obvious Notre Dame was cheating on the back, and, and they called a couple of keepers for Lawrence, or at least that's what he read, and he pulled and, and uh, he picked up a couple of first downs on the ground. And, and just, but it's all just to keep people honest. It's not where the touchdowns are. No, it, it's not a central piece of uh, Clemson's offense. So look, if it comes down to uh, Trevor Lawrence having to run the ball a good bit uh, Monday night, Alabama's going to be in good shape yeah. because first and foremost, as we know, it's about Etienne. I mean, he's had a huge season, over 1,500 yards, averaging 8.3 a carry, um, 22 touchdowns on the season, second straight year that he's led Clemson in rushing. But for Alabama, if you're able to limit Etienne, Feaster, and Choice, those three backs that you'll see in the game for Clemson, to under 65 yards like you did in the Sugar Bowl last year, um, you, you're going to feel pretty good about it. You're going to feel better and pretty good about it uh, if you're able to keep Clemson to that kind of number for a second straight meeting. The receiving threats for Lawrence, we'll touch on them really quick in that matchup with the Alabama secondary. One more run at Hunter Renfro, Travis. Uh, the the slot guy that has been a, a mostly a thorn in Alabama's side uh, in these CFP clashes. Back again for his fifth uh, fifth year redshirt senior season but uh, T Higgins Justin Ross obviously uh, the deeper threats Ross with a big game against Notre Dame absolutely Uh, Justin Ross even though Alabama was able to pull a couple of nice wide receiver recruits in that 2018 class most notably Jalen Waddell uh, you hate to see an in-state talent like Justin Ross get away and that's exactly what happened made his way uh, over to Clemson He's averaging 21 yards per catch, Chase, and he's not doing it on like 10 catches. He has 40 receptions. So this isn't one of those distorted yards per catch averages where, yeah, it's impressive, but a guy's only caught 10 balls uh, in 14 games. This guy's caught 40 passes. So just about everything he pulls in is a a chunk reception. And, you know, coming off that performance against Oklahoma last week, you wonder how Patrick Sertan, the second, the true freshman corner, will respond to a pretty rocky outing against C.D. Lamb of the Sooners. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Here's where 
not having to deal with you know an excessively mobile quarterback might come into to the aid of of Alabama's back end though you know if Alabama can deal with this Clemson run game with its just its front seven um then it'll be able to play maybe some two safeties deep you know and provide some help uh and double maybe Hunter Renfro on third and eight you know help out Shaheem Carter in those situations maybe provide some help uh, to Sertan or Savion Smith on the outside, whereas last week uh, they had to man up because you had to have that extra defender to help account for Murray's legs. That shouldn't be as much of an issue this week. In terms of the pass rush, uh, where are we at with Christian Miller, Travis? Obviously, he went off the field against Oklahoma uh, last week with a, a hamstring, hamstring injury that, that looked to be or at least seemed to be fairly serious, but uh, any chance we see him back on the field just a week later? Yeah, you know, we're recording this before Thursday's practice, so we were out there Tuesday and Wednesday. You know, Christian's been out on the practice field with those outside linebackers in his practice gear, but haven't seen him do anything, at least during the media viewing periods, that resembles, you know, running or the the type of footwork drills uh, that you typically see during those periods of practice. So, I would say it's a, a big fat wait and see. Yeah. Again, we've got Thursday's practice to sort of consume and maybe get a look at. Uh, but for what he does best, Chase, I guess you have to worry that it's a hamstring. You know, if it was a broken hand even or something like that, well then, you know, he'd still have that dynamic ability off the edge to work with. You know, when it starts being something to the lower extremity for a player who's Get you know, off. role yeah is is so dependent upon those type of uh areas of his body i i guess you got to be pretty concerned right yeah get off is everything for your edge pass rushers and so uh yeah it, anything above the waist tends to be able to something you could just tape up or put a club on and let, let them go uh but below the waist definitely a, a much bigger deal for somebody playing christian miller's role the talk of tide podcast at podbean.com rolls on itunes google play stitcher and tune in uh, we're going to thank some sponsors really quick before we move forward in the broadcast starting with north river dental associates and dr jack smalley be sure to get your teeth taken care of with dr jack trust your family's teeth uh, to north river dental associates as well the phone number seven five two three five zero six it's off mcfarland bar boulevard at eleven hundred Fairfax Park. You can go to NorthRiverDentist.com on the web for an appointment, and they do it all over there. They get you in and out of there quickly. They're great working with insurance people. They're great about reminding you because I know it's easy to forget uh, when you just get that done twice a year. But make sure when you do it twice a year, do it with Dr. Jack at North River Dental. Also want to thank Urban Cookhouse, the farm-to-fire-to-table restaurant at 1490 North Bank Parkway off Rice Mine Road, conveniently located from pretty much anywhere uh, but especially campus you just zip down university boulevard from campus exit mcfarland take that rice mine exit and you're you're there in minutes and vince hunter and his staff are going to be waiting there with some food off that big green egg ceramic smokers they've got uh going uh, and outstanding food as well so conveniently located and some great food over at urban cookhouse I'm going to tell you about Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa out there at 3200 Skyland Boulevard East in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Great, great selection of automobiles, both new and certified pre-owned. You're going to find them both 
at Mercedes-Benz of Tuscaloosa. Go to the website right now, mercedesoftuscaloosa.com, and you can expedite the shopping process right there. Take a look at the entire inventory of new and certified pre-owned automobiles as they sit on the lot today. Go to mercedesoftuscaloosa.com first, then make your way to 3200 Skyland Boulevard East for the very best in selection sales in service after the sale it is of course mercedes-benz of tuscaloosa also our good friends at cartier and lloyd attorneys at law right there in downtown tuscaloosa since 1992 mike cartier and john lloyd have been servicing alabamians and really people across the country uh in their legal needs between them we're talking about 60 plus combined years of legal experience you're going to find that in my Michael Carty and John Lloyd at Carty and Lloyd, Attorneys at Law. The phone number 205-759-1554, 205-759-1554. That's going to put you in touch with Mike Carty and John Lloyd. Also, check out their website, www.cartylloydlaw.com. That's Carty and Lloyd, Attorneys at Law. Talk a Tide podcast with Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer. Moving on, Travis, uh, uh, a couple of side topics around this Alabama-Clemson game. We'll start with uh, ticket prices on the secondary market, which is, uh, of course, a fun topic for us uh, on occasion. And uh, for this one, uh, prices dropping for the consumer like we haven't seen in a long time in a game like this. Really, you go back to the last time they tried to play this game out west of Dallas, Glendale, Arizona, three years ago. And guess what happened? Yeah tickets easily to be had um and that's kind of what we're looking at not kind of that's really what we're looking at looking at StubHub right now StubHub showing over 9,000 tickets available oh. on its website uh and a get-in price as of thursday afternoon for a single at 135 now we're talking about face values i believe that start at 450 and go north so we're talking about a third of the price right now on Thursday, and we still got the weekend to go. So uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it, it, uh, if you're a ticket man or, or woman or person, and you put a lot of stock into this game, turning a buck, it, it, it might be a rough rest of the year for you. For the law, for the faction of Alabama fans that's that's able to go to one. Uh, postseason game even if you include the sec championship game uh the one they just played in 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 miami against oklahoma that's the one they were gonna that they were gonna bang for sure uh because if you can't go to two first of all who you know you don't go to you don't you don't go to miami knowing if they're even going to come out so that's that's another driving factor uh but yeah uh the the to go out there and by the way uh pay look, go look and see what a plane ticket cost out there yeah. in LA right about now go go look at what it costs to, to to stay in a decent hotel out there right about right now on that weekend and so you, know, you throw all that in there and you got plenty of people saying no thanks I, I, I will gladly watch this thing on the couch it's a couch game yeah, there's no doubt about it um you know, and even the game in Miami, the Orange Bowl, it, it wasn't a tough ticket at all on the secondary market. So, you know, in my opinion, and I know some people say, well, throw the Rose Bowl in there too. I don't give a damn about the Rose Bowl, okay? Those people out there, all they care about is their Big Ten and Pac-12 game. Let them have it. Let the Rose Bowl have it. Let them have Ohio State, Washington every year. The only three towns that need to host college football playoff games are Dallas 
Atlanta and New Orleans. I get it. You're trying to spread the wealth or you know spread the the uh, exposure for the sport by moving it out there to the West Coast on occasion. To heck with that. All you need are those three cities for those three games, the two semifinals and the championship game. Rotate them every year between those three towns, Dallas, Atlanta, New Orleans, and you won't have to worry about uh, a lack of buzz in the immediate area uh, when it comes to – comes to your playoff games well it's certainly the three towns you just mentioned those three towns service the sec they service the acc they service the big 12 and and a lesser look a lot of big and i can get to to all three wherever i live i can get to all three new orleans is maybe is is the toughest of those three but i can i can direct flight from la to atlanta i can direct flight from New York to Atlanta, Chicago, just really anywhere. You have to go to Atlanta, whether you yeah. want to or not. Yeah. You know, and Dallas is very much the same way in a lot of ways. So, you know, New Orleans has to be in the three because it works best in terms of location of venue in in relation to location of lodging and entertainment. It flows. It just all comes together perfectly in New Orleans. Um, logistically, Atlanta and Dallas are, are perfect. How about the other man, the Vegas man? Six uh, and 60, your numbers will turn our attention in that direction. Uh, your thoughts on uh, the spread, Alabama favored by six, and uh, the over-under on the game, uh, 60 points. It's a high – look, there was a time – look, a couple of years ago, you couldn't have gotten a 60-point over-under on an Alabama game against just about anybody. But, you know, with the way this Alabama offense has, has played this year uh, and obviously with the with all the offensive skill Clemson brings to the game, it's a fat number. Yeah, listen, I'm not telling anybody how to spend their money first. Let's get that out of the way. So any of the degenerates that tune into this program. On your own. Uh, yeah, yeah th- th- this is not a – this isn't telling you to, to run out and, and uh, try to dunk on the man, okay? But – I'm probably different in that I like Alabama laying the six, but then I also like the under. I, I don't. I don't. I just don't think it's going to be a game that gets into the 30s or even the high 20s. Um, I, I think it's going to be something along a game of 50 to 55 total points, somewhere like that. If it's if it's if it's more than that, I think Alabama wins really big. I, I, it, if it's going to be a game north of 60, I think it's going to be Alabama that's going to have the, the, the pretty good majority uh, of those points. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a fairly close game. But I like Alabama to cover the six, but I like it to go under the 60. What about you? All it takes to kill these these over-under numbers is a little bit of red zone defense because sometimes, you, look, you get even with ex- offenses as explosive as these, you could get your, your big explosive chunk plays and go up and down the field. But if you can't punch it in inside the 10 – uh, you can you can go to halftime with nine points. Uh, so if if uh, to to me reds it's all about red zone defense when you talk about you know the, these over unders. And, and Alabama actually did a pretty good job of that against Oklahoma. I mean, when you want to talk about differences in that game, forcing Oklahoma to kick a couple of red zone field goals in game in the game in which they led twenty one points at both times in which they did it. Uh, I, I believe that was the case. That was huge. And so you're absolutely correct. I, I think that'll be 
key for both these teams, and I don't think either one of these teams are uh, entirely excited about kicking field goals uh, with their kicking situations. Although, Joseph Bullivus, your guy, thir- thir- Joey three points, 13 <laughs> of 17 now on field goals. Get off my man. Get yeah. off my man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Joey played well here late in the postseason, especially, no doubt about it. Uh, 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 late season uh, surge for his play. It's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. Be sure to join us coming off of this Alabama Clemson game. We'll be back with a recap in no time. It's the Talking Tide podcast. <laughs>